0: Today we have, why don't you introduce yourself, KT, and we'll move around the room.
1: Yeah, everybody knows me as KT. My name is Ken Taylor. I've been a strength and conditioning coach right around here for about 40-something years. Old guy. And uh, done a little bit of all of it. Uh, strength and conditioning, owned up, uh, opened and owned three or four different health clubs and gyms in town. Had a world gym. I was a part of the ownership at Hampton Hill Athletic Club. Been working back and forth with the University of South Carolina Athletic Department for probably 24 of the last 33 years. Um, Had a break in the middle where I opened up a a couple of clubs and was really kind of hot into the pursuit of that. And then they hired me back in '04 to work with the men's golf program. So I do a lot of golf specificity. I do a lot of sports specificity, mm-hmm. and we're going to uh, get into that. Too. Yeah, yeah. I'm kinda excited but um, about that, you know, yeah. as you know, I was uh, I ran bodybuilding in the state for probably 25 years as a state chairman and a national judge and a national promoter. Did uh, four ESPN productions with bodybuilding that were real successful, and uh, had a decent competition. Um, Two or 2
0: I've yeah. probably competed yeah, for years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: just,
0: just, just decent. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably should have said, uh, let's introduce the co-host first before the giant resume <laughs> oh, that we got. Sorry, hey, that's <laughs> no, all, it's okay. the no, older I get, the better I was. I was gonna say 100. You got it. You got it. You got to bring it out every time you talk about it. <laughs> if it, it had been
2: anybody else, I'd have probably been a little bit pissed. But yeah, this guy right here, KT and I. My name's Rob Thames, uh, and uh, KT and I go back a long ways. We have probably started. Training together in 1982, mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, a couple of years later, KT won the state here in South Carolina. Then we both moved to Atlanta, thinking we needed a, we need a bigger market. Right. And we found out that this little state of South Carolina had a lot better studs in it than uh, Atlanta and the Atlanta metro area. Um, yeah, it is crazy how this is like the the capital. Right? Oh my gosh! You got just Donnie Thompson of, right there. You think got, about yeah. the guys uh, yeah, like Lee Haney. Yeah. Right? How many times did he win the Olympics?
0: Yeah, yeah. now now just Carolina, once or twice. You know, North Carolina's yeah. going to claim Lee Haney. Every single time. So you can't you can't just bring that up. <laughs> hey, look, he's uh, no, a
2: Spartanburg no, no. boy. Yeah, he sure was. <laughs> he and, sure and, was. Uh, but um, uh, you know, I, we kind of had parallel uh, paths. You yes, know, after we stopped uh, training together, and I moved to Atlanta first. You moved to Atlanta right after that. Came back to here to go right. to usc and get a right. degree right and um, and i stayed over there in the in the uh in the fitness industry and uh, now that part of atlanta was different than south carolina we had some little small places that were franchise type places that had good crowds and and decent memberships but when i got over there i got mixed up with the uh, probably shouldn't put it that way it sounds a little gangster but uh i got uh, hooked up with uh, american fitness centers right and that one on Cobb Parkway where I was at was enormous. I it mean, was. it was the biggest place I'd ever been in,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, you bring it up, but in reality, these were little enclaves, little pockets of different strength, you know, progression in different areas. Yeah, no I mean, doubt about it. It really was kind of like gangs mm-hmm. for a little bit. Yep. I don't think anybody would disagree that the Louis Simmons crowd was kind of like a gang in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, and, uh, and they, they might still be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and then Ken and I both went um, uh, the strength and conditioning coach route at the mm-hmm. college level. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, found our way back into the private sector, and uh, then I end up in manufacturing, and he's still he's still kicking that tail in the uh, in the in the weight room, getting people, you know, in shape, uh, taking athletes, making them better. Um, and, uh, you know, and I miss I miss some of those days too. I mean, there's things I don't miss about it, but you know, no job is perfect. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but we we got a really good thing going here in the manu- manufacturing side. And, um, you know, building these uh, tsunami bars, that's kind of the division that I'm over and and handle that. And and, uh, we'll probably be talking
0: about that a little bit today. Which I was going to say, let's get into that now. Um, (laughs) What I was really curious about, and I wanted your guys' opinion on this, what do you think the future of exercise science is going to be? Because right now I see so much emphasis on biometrics i see so much emphasis on data but the reality is is they do nothing with the data mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. so like where do you think the direction will go as we go into the future now i'm not saying that's not going to be important mm-hmm. but at the same time mm-hmm. You know, you and I saw it at the clinics. Mm-hmm. A lot of the coaches that, mm-hmm. we, uh, that we work with, mm-hmm. they look at strength profiles as a, mm-hmm. as a binary number. Mm-hmm. They think if it's high, it's good. That means mm-hmm. more athletics. And mm-hmm. we know that's not the
2: truth, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, I'll, I'll get this started. And then KT's got a wealth of information he can add on to this. You know, a lot of, a lot of the times in, in weightlifting, conditioning, fitness, strength gains, bodybuilding, whatever you want to call it, we keep trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we keep doing things that we we might do it today. Well, hell, they did it hundred years ago, mm-hmm. but we think we're, we're brand new now. Like CrossFit when it came around, yeah. they didn't do anything new. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what who the hell they think they're fooling, but they didn't yeah. fool anybody. It was really marketed. They well, marketed it well, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, and it was a highly successful. Not taking anything away from them, they brought a lot of people into the game.
0: I would definitely yeah. say if there's one thing I can't disparage them for, it's how many women they got involved. No in doubt, the sport. they
2: they grew the entire industry, mm-hmm. and to, and to the better for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, when we get to a part like I'm involved in now, which is a you know flexible barbell bell training, it really brings the element of dynamics into play. Well, at first everybody thought, well, you know, that's the newest. Well, we it's not really new. We've been trying to train with buckets of water and stuff. Well, there is instability, yeah, yeah, instability, flu- sand pipes, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Questar. They just didn't refine it to the point to where you could load it mm-hmm. and put weight on it mm-hmm. and be functional with it mm-hmm. and, and do strength moves with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have got that, and that's kind of what separates it. Now, that is a, something new. So that is a new wave. So now the stuff that we're tapping into now, and Ken is going to take off on this, I know, because we've talked about this before. Ken has got a degree in exercise science, and probably two or three others. he got a master's in it, I believe. Mm-hmm. So he's got a library of books that are written on strength conditioning, how muscle reacts to resistance training, all the stuff. But all of the information has been derived from training with steel, mm-hmm. or you know, a standard barbell with regular plates on it and doing the standard exercises that we always do. And now we've got this element of dynamics with this flexible barbell,
0: mm-hmm. which rewrites the entire library. And we haven't even started yet. And you know what's crazy about that? Again, today when I was having that conversation with George, we were—it's—it's—it's crazy because it's golf, right? And so it's kind of farther away from. What well, we're talking about is strength, but right. the, the basic principles are still the same. He was talking about how when people had wooden golf clubs, they would train differently right. that because they had to. Mm-hmm. Their strength profile couldn't add as much rotation. Mm-hmm. It was more snap force because mm-hmm. that was the way that you golfed with a wooden golf club. Exactly. I feel like as we progress into the future and mm-hmm. as the equipment lineup expands and mm-hmm. becomes more and more advanced, mm-hmm. training protocols will also mm-hmm. advance with sure. it. Sure, and yeah. we're
2: finding that out now. So let me just interject and
1: say a few things. You, you bring up a couple of points that kind of coincide with your original question. Okay, <laughs> If you look at Bryson DeChambeau and what he's doing with golf, he competes with the long drivers, but he plays on the PGA Tour. He's got ground force numbers, uh, mile per hour speed, ball mile per hour speed numbers that are just uncanny. People can't even fathom how to get that way. He's done really well with the rest of his game, so he's been able to win on tour and be one of the top players in the world. Lately, if you've been following him, you see that he's got lots of injuries, a multitude of injuries starting to come up. Mm -hmm. We knew that it was a matter of time between the heavy training and what these guys have to go to swing the club at 152, 155 miles an hour. We knew the taxation that was putting on the body, right? And it takes a special individual with a lot of care on restoration and recovery to be able to hang in there for any period of time. And he hung in there for a good bit of time. But now if you start talking about the longevity, now you're really going to have to look at, okay, how is his training really how much is too much how is he able to really focus on being able to be a professional golfer so that's his number one deal right. or does he want to branch off because he's actually financially starting to support the long drive long drive um federation or association of, of the country and help those guys out because that sport's been kind of falling back a little bit right but but what i'm leading into is that young, you're 100 percent right and that people are all about numbers testing um, feedback from whatever device is being used to give them more uh, internal information. But at the end of the day, and I hate to say that, but at the end of the day, we have to understand that we move with our bodies. Yeah, And so the body is still going to be the ultimate weapon. The body still has to be programmed in a way that the movement is what you need it to do mm-hmm. at the time you need it to do and can produce what
0: you need it to produce. And just to generalize for everybody, um, although we're... Sp- Specifically speaking about golf, the principles are still the same in any impact related sport. I I think we all know, like baseball is a good one, tennis is another good one. It just lights up parts of your parts of your body that just really can't recover in time, right? And then eventually that wear and tear will lead to injuries. And
1: And look at last week's seminar. Okay, it was mainly for high school football strength coaches and head football coaches, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about the weaknesses in the posterior chain. Well, that's a common denominator amongst all athletes, not just football players. Mm-hmm. I see it in my basketball players, my volleyball players, my hockey players, my golfers for sure. Anything that's rotated to an extension is going to be related to the torso, trunk versatility, as well as the pelvic powerhouse and how they complement one another. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also true in football. Yeah. If you've got a guy that can laterally and linearly move down the line, that's because he can disassociate his hips and move on a linear dime with a lot of speed. Mm-hmm. Okay, Those things were not even considered years ago. We were talking about his bench. We were talking his power clean. We were talking about his overall body fat. And maybe what did he do in the shuttle run? Maybe yeah. what he did in the, in the 40, you yeah. know?
0: Well, and again, it's funny that you would mentioned that because I kind of talked about it with the doctor today a little bit more. But I brought it kind of back to martial arts, right. back to UFC, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of the times within sports, we learned, uh, in my opinion, I think lifting was kind of the push kick of sports. Right. You know, a push kick, right? The ability to push somebody out. But it wasn't the snap kick that it needed to be. Right. And that comes with isometric control as well as concentric explosion. Right. 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 And I feel like weightlifting in general is the push kick in the sense that you can train to be stronger and to be able to produce more force. Right. But without direction and control, it's not it doesn't equate to higher impact. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And it's what I, I told the coaches last week. You can sit on any isokinetic pattern machine you want to. You can sequentially, progressively become stronger. Last Mm -hmm. week, I did 150. This week, I'm doing 160. You can use periodization. You can use pyramid. You can use any type of form of training you want to. Gradual sequential progression is a good rule. However, if I just work on absolute strength and I don't learn how to adhere speed to it, pair it with speed, it will never be powerful. Mm -hmm. The only way we have power is to be able to put speed with strength.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the saying I've heard, and and this is from a past life here, but was speed is strength in a direction. And I feel like that is correct, right? Yeah. Um, You know, I want to talk a little bit more about the clinic, mainly because we have a lot of content. I kind of wanted to, like, you know, um, spread out amongst people. but. You talked a lot about balance, specifically frontal balance, but right. then also rear balance right correct? Does that have a lot to do with the posterior chain
1: absolutely and and if you know you think about it when people use a mirror as a reference for technique let's say mm-hmm. they're looking in the mirror, they see the anterior part of their body, they train the anterior part of the body right If you go to most gym setups, whether they be for a professional fitness setting, a uh, strength and conditioning room for high school athletes, college athletes, professional athletes they're set up where anterior movements kind of five six seven to one ratio for posterior movements Mm -hmm. and then you have to ask yourself When are you attacking the posterior chain to try to get some symmetry or balance? Most people hit the posterior chain at the very end. Mm -hmm. It'd be like me and you going in the gym and doing legs and you and I are going to do hundred rep sets of squats today and leg presses and all this stuff. And on the way out the door, we'll hit two or three sets of leg curls and call it a day. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not working. That is completely symmetrically out of balance.
0: And what's crazy is that, and I talk about this a lot, I feel like we've, kind of disparage bodybuilding because there was a lot of tenets and principles that were incredibly valuable like mm-hmm. for example symmetry mm-hmm. um, and the ability to be parallel you mm-hmm. know to, mm-hmm. to, to basically build everything out properly mm-hmm. we kind of dropped that and then now we have cues from bodybuilding that are just not good that disseminates across mm-hmm. the board mm-hmm. but what I'm finding more now is powerlifting is doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. you know yeah I mean I,
2: I, I agree there's um, the, the you know Ken when he started talking about the anterior and posterior I was as guilty as that as anybody. I'd get on that bench press and just hammer it.
0: I still I'd, do it, you know, even though I know it's not presses good. And do all that stuff. And
2: <laughs> Ken would uh, now. Ken was a judge for bodybuilding contests for a long time, so I valued his opinion greatly. And he'd stand me up and he'd pat me on the front and he would go, "Man, you're a black belt in the front, but you're, <laughs> you're like a white belt there in the <laughs> posterior because oh you yeah, know, I didn't I didn't do the things that were necessary.
0: And if there's uh, one thing Ken's good at, it's kicking your ass with just five pounds. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you know,
2: and. um as we're going to find out uh, through the conversation when we get to some of these uh, tsunami bar technologies, uh, uh, you know, that lighter weight, uh, don't
0: discount that stuff. No. See, and that's what's so funny is that a lot of the power lifters are the ones that kind of disparage the tsunami bar. But the good, pow- the great part about powerlifting tenet tenant was RPE and deloading, right? Yeah. yeah. It was literally going lower in weight as you increase in the mm-hmm. level of exhaustion, mm-hmm. and yet they do not see the adherence mm-hmm. of why that would be important, mm-hmm. In, in like the tsunami bar method, mm-hmm. but let's be real here: internet comments are internet comments. Sure, who who the hell knows <laughs> right. if these guys are powerlifters, if they're right. bodybuilders, or if they're anybody. Right. Right. right, right. But I do find it kind of interesting. Um, I
2: will say, you know, when, when it comes to the power game, um, and I and I can see their their point, especially when it comes to their training, because they're competing. They're competing with a heavy load, mm-hmm. and you have got to feel that heavy load before you can dominate or execute that heavy load and you know with the with our technology we're working with a lighter load that you move with speed that's going to load at that point of eccentric concentric transition mm-hmm. uh, so a bar if you like it i'll use the uh, bench press for an example and uh, it's a speed bar with the tsunami side you put 25 pounds aside plus the weight of the speed bar you got 62 pounds set up but if you move it at 3.8 feet per second, and I know that sounds like, well, who the hell is measuring their, <laughs> their speed of their bar? But a lot of
0: people are now. They are. Yeah. That's where
2: the, this, all this data is coming in now. Yeah. So if, if you're moving it at that kind of speed, at that point of eccentric, concentric transition, which is at the bottom before you start to push it back to the top, that mm-hmm. reversal point, it's, uh, it's been measured out with force plates in the floor in a scientific setting, so I'm not making this up, at 415 pounds of force. So sixty two, your central nervous system is going to have to respond to that because it doesn't know any different. That's right. Mm-hmm. All it knows is this under it's under the gun, right. and it's got the it's got to send out the signals. It's got to recruit for what it feels like it's getting ready to be under.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, now, I take four hundred and fifteen pounds off the rack and put it in my hands. It's going to feel totally different. Yeah. So I understand that in the street game, you've got to – you got. You with some heavyweight, that's that's the game they play.
0: Yeah, and again, you know, I think a lot of times the the thing that makes it difficult is that we want to assume that athletes' bodies are these are, are these binary like pieces of metal, but they're not. They're fluid, right? right? And so with that, you know, it's like a chain. Any part of the chain that's weak is the part that's going to break first. Right. Absolutely, and we see that right now a lot. Um, you know, in the conference of Cedar Town, one of the things that they wanted to talk about a lot was just. How often these kids are tearing hamstrings and glutes, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's that that quick change in direction, yep. And uh, the what's it called? David even went so far as to say that maybe all the glute ham work that they're doing is shortening the muscle, and with that muscle shortening, maybe it's just too tight by the time that they do that fluid change, it just pops. And then if you look at their program, they're not
2: stretching,
1: no, they're not really, so you got a mobility issue there, but you also again have that anterior-posterior thing going on, but in the lower leg extremities. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of quad movements that are out there in most gyms compared to the amount of hamstring movements or leg bicep movements, 5 to 1, 6 to 1, 7 to ones. Okay, I did sleds today, but I pushed them forward. Quads was my mover, hamstrings were my stabilizer. I went over, I did box jumps. Quads was my mover, hams were my stabilizer. I didn't do some squat to a press. Quads was my mover, hams were my stabilizer. By the time you get to... 40 minutes of intense training like that, the quadriceps have had so much work, the leg biceps have just been in a stabilization role. Right. So when are you going to put them into the mover role? Well, you might have to do reverse sleds where you're pulling back on them. So now my hamstrings are trying to be the mover. My quad's a stabilizer. You've got to reverse the role sometime if you want to have some some evenness of symmetry. And it's, it's, now, being, it's now become a syndrome. There's what's called lower body cross syndrome now that people have dissected and said, Man, we got problems here. We thought it was sciatica. We thought it was uh, something going on with our psoas. Well, it's all of the above because there's so many lower extremities imbalances. Mm-hmm. Now you're starting to feel it in different parts of your pelvic girdle or your lower back or whatever. It could be you, you, you're feeling it in your QLs. You know, your quadriceps lumborum, your lower back's killing you, it's got nothing to do with your lower back. But it's how the chain has been disrupted in the weak link. To go to your point,
0: mm-hmm. see, it's funny. I kind of developed a theory today. Um, And we talked about this before. We talked about how uh, if you look at like powerlifting training footage from like the Soviet era, Mm -hmm. they always generalize first, Mm -hmm. they specialize later, right? Mm -hmm. What I'm starting to find, especially with that conversation that I had with George about golf, right? As sports progress, as equipment gets better, what ends up happening is that the people who've been doing this for 50 plus years Mm -hmm. go, something's wrong. You're not Mm -hmm. doing the bare bones basic. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that now that that, that that specific equipment pieces evolve so rapidly mm-hmm. they don't go back and do the baseline mm-hmm. stuff that they did and mm-hmm. when they didn't have that equipment mm-hmm. you see that was one of the biggest benefits for me one of my biggest gifts was that i was not given a power rack mm-hmm. i had to work up to a power rack so i did a ton of plyometrics and stuff right. like that mm-hmm. as i did it mm-hmm. and so i was able to generalize first mm-hmm. and i think that's why like you know like my squat form like i i i i, tr- I think the reason that's so good is because I wasn't afraid to go lightweight at first because that's Mm -hmm. all I had. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these guys, um, powerlifters and then, of course, I'm going to, I'm, kind of, I'm coming in kind of close with this one, but powerlifters in in particular, like a lot of them, start from an overloaded position anyway because yeah. they're overweight as well. So, right. so they don't have the they don't have the ability right. to move right. as well as somebody right. who isn't. Right. And then they decide to put tremendous load under that right. and build their body up right. from that schematic. Right. It's just a faulty foundation, right? right? In the That's end right. of the day, it is. And I think you're seeing a
2: a, a transformation in that. And uh, I know the, I know some of the power guys are going to really get uh, ticked at me for saying. Even putting the same name in the in the uh, sentence, but the strongman field. Yeah, I mean these guys are 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 majorly powerful dudes, and they are leaned out, mm-hmm. and they look, uh, you know, they got the physique to go along with it. Um, you know that last uh, show that you and I went to, yeah, uh, with clash. A, a clash on the coast. Yeah, I mean I really didn't because I I'd never been to a strongman competition like mm-hmm. that before. See, I've only seen them on TV, but it was the super heavyweights. Right. It was never the middleweights. And these guys, I, you know, I thought the guy that we knew was going to be the only one that looked like that. But
0: no, they they all looked great. Well, what I found what I found so interesting about that is that even though it was middleweight, the amount of variances were, were insane. Yeah. There were some guys who were incredibly top heavy, incredibly built up top. Now that is true. And then there were some guys who... Look kind of normal, average, but the performance was just through the roof. Yeah, you know? so it's kind of interesting to see how much variance there is in that weight class. So that's what I like, and again, I I really like that level of strongman because it, the super heavyweights. It really is about how big you can get. Like mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are literally putting on as much mass as possible to be able to insulate themselves from heavy impact. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that at the lower weight ranges. The mm-hmm. lightweight rate, weight range is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Because you have people who are able to lift three, four, five times their body weight in yeah. some of these cases. Yeah. Who so was the guy that was there? Tommy? Is that what you're talking about? The yeah. lightweight? Yeah. The, the lightweight bearded guy? Yeah. 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 Wow, yeah. he was super athletic. I mean, the, his explosive
2: capability yeah. was to the roof. Yeah, he was, he was just insane. Which
0: I mean, what's crazy is that if you, and, and again, his name is Tommy, Tommy Laval. You guys should follow him on Instagram just to see his content. Because the ability of this man to explode as like a joke—he's yeah. not even doing it for a competition yeah. Yeah. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. He's just doing it as as a fun thing on the off day. It's insane.
2: Man. Yeah, that guy was. Uh, yeah, I kept I kept watch. I was found myself watching him help clean up an area after the competition because mm-hmm. I was enthralled by how athletic this guy was.
0: That's, That's what why I also was being love. strong.
2: I mean, this guy—he he, he might have been a lightweight. And, uh, and, and you know, on the scale, but yeah. it was no lightweight.
0: Well, what I also love about the strongman community is that it's so insular, right? Like, okay, he's a champion. Yeah. And he's still out here helping yeah, with the helping event out. and all right. that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just find that kind of cool. It, it's funny because I feel like powerlifting had that at one point. Yeah. And it kind of dissipated as these federations and stuff started becoming yeah, more and more. I, I hate like to they say it. it.
2: It might be just my opinion, but um, uh, powerlifting is, I mean, it's all but, but dead sport.
0: I mean, it's difficult, you know, they're gonna hate it, but this is when I this is I knew I kinda so like throw, throw the, stir the pot. This is what I, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> this is when I knew I was kinda done with it, right? They're willing to talk to me about why the tsunami bar doesn't work or it's bad. And of course I'm providing them research papers and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm providing them good evidence on mm-hmm. on why it could be at the very minimum useful for stabilizers and yep. stuff, but they just won't give me a hint. But as soon as somebody is able to create a new movement where ROM is almost non-existent on a bench, yeah. they're like, that's the most optimal way to bench. Yeah. And it's like, come on. At a certain point, you have to stop. Yeah. You can't just keep laying okay. okay. this and guy I down. We were talking
2: about this just a couple weeks ago, how they, they overemphasized the bridge. I mean, they got, the, they got their arms so far out. The, um, the range of movement, just like you said, is pretty. Four
0: inches. I mean, the overhead press work is literally incline five yeah. right? So,
1: so the two things I'll say to both you guys, and they're kind of statements and questions at the same time, is what's different now with the athletes that are in the serious iron game from 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Honestly. Media attention. Well, that's for sure. But my was looking more for they're more efficient pound for oh, pound yeah, yeah, than yeah, they've yeah. ever Definitely. been. If you look at the weight classes... And you look at the totals and you look at what human beings are producing pound for pound yeah. it's better than it's ever been because the knowledge is out there the teachings out there the tools are out there all of the above right yeah but we've got to go back in history to appreciate where we where we are right now powerlifting made Crossfit better. Powerlifting made Olympic lifting better. Powerlifting made bodybuilding better. We had bodybuilders can never build proper density until they got hooked up with a proper power lifter and said, dude, you've got to hypertrophy these fibers in a different way than you're doing. That's true. If you're if you're not if you're going 12, 15, 20, 30, 40 reps workload all the time, you're never going gross enough in your workload to really stimulate some heavy sarcomere recruitment. So yeah. you know, you gotta look at what complements everything. You and I talk about the martial arts, hell, the martial arts have helped the mobilization of every single sport specificity that's out there right now, mm-hmm. without yoga and martial arts, we wouldn't be mobile athletes right now. Mm-hmm. We have to look at what has transferred to make us all better movers and all better athletes and all better lifters. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and I think really, when you look at it from a critical standpoint, it's all a balance, you know um and i think the most difficult part of it is that we get so worked up about the specificity and obsessed with that specificity we make that the metric and that's kind of when you start failing right again we talked about it before but coaches making powerlifting the new metric it's just not the reality it's just not the reality of the game the metric is what you do on the field not what you do in the weight room i agree that's right hi everybody Welcome to the commercial break of the Brains for Gains podcast. This is the part where I talk to you about the companies that we represent. We represent William Strength, Tsunami Bar Sports, and Total Strength and Speed. So, everything you hear by no means comes from an unbiased party since we are within the exercise science world. But almost all the information that is being spoken of or talked about within the episode is usually a part of a clinic or something along those lines. So, again, these are anecdotal stories, but But, you know, these are knowledge bombs that we kind of learn as we do more and more stuff within this industry. I did want to kind of go back and talk a little bit more about the clinic, uh, specifically with the demonstration you had this time around, that was new stuff, correct? Mm-hmm. Like we are mm-hmm. kind of going in a new direction with yes. the stuff that you're producing. Yes. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit. Well
1: um, what we're finding out is, and, and again, I like to talk about it because it lets all the coaches and all the lifters and all the people that are involved in our industry understand a little bit better. You know, it wasn't that long ago that they came out with really determining genetically what our speed windows were, because we're talking about speed, when we're developing our fast-twitch muscle fibers. So as you talk about, you know, do you really have the kick? Do you really have the explosion? Where that comes from, what ages are you developing that, and then how can it be
0: manifested through the adulthood or through the career of a particular athlete? And and not to interrupt, but is that correlated with your height window as well? When your muscles start lengthening? It's, or what it's, is it's, that correlated it's with?
1: More, is more the genetic patterns of the actual muscle structure itself. Mm-hmm. The I-bands, the H-bands, the sarcomeres, the sarcoplasmic reticulum, the whole encapsulated muscle fiber, how it's presented in the body genetically and how it's designed, you have speed windows. So the first speed window, the girls mature a little quicker than boys. Mm-hmm. So the first speed window for girls is between the ages of 4 and 7. So what do you have them doing physically and athletically during those times to develop that fast twitch muscle fiber? Then their second one is 11 to 14. So they're a little different than the boys. Boys are later. They're 7 to 9. Okay, is their first speed window, and their second speed window is 14 to 17. Right. So if they're jumping and sprinting and exploding and throwing rocks across the pond and chasing bulls on the farm or whatever it might be, yeah. you're developing fast twitch muscle fiber in a huge reservoir, and you're going to be using that reservoir for the rest of your athletic life. Got you. So as strength coaches, we have to dive into that and say, if we want our kids to really benefit from this, let's start them early. Let's teach them how to explode, load and explode, teach them how to decelerate and accelerate. All of a sudden now the muscles start to understand that language very early in life contrary to what we've been dealing with with powerlifting, bodybuilding all this year, is we just start training. We don't really know if we're working fast oxidative glycolytic, which are the gray muscle fibers, or fast glycetic, which are the ones we kind of built when we were young, or just slow oxidative because we're training so slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm going to give you good good news, bad news on my powerlifter. I had a powerlifter that I trained with for a while that taught me so much about um, Deeper rotation on the bench to be able to get an unbelievable punch off the bottom just from using C bar and real slow 10 second eccentric training, that kind of stuff. But then I trained with a, a power lifter one time when we were squat, and this literally the squat workout would take somewhere close between two and a half and three hours. It was so much of a slow oxidative bout that I never really generated any fast switch unless we just did a short set with a maximum workload. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to understand the muscle fiber and how it's trained a little bit more. Otherwise, you come, you come in with your kids, and let's say I'm looking at 50, 60 football players like we were at West Point, okay? How many of those 60 players, Robbie and B. Young, are loaded up with fast twitch? Well, the truth be told, some of them probably a little bit, but for the majority of them, they have majority of FOG muscle fibers. They're gray muscle fibers. They take on the characteristics of how you train them. And so if you want to make them look more fast twitch, you have to train them in such a way. But if you want to make cross-country runners out of them, you can train them that way as well and be more slow oxidative.
0: Now, with FOG muscles, yes, is there a specific amount that everybody has, I'm assuming? Everybody's different. Every single body, just like you and ours, fingerprint is mm-hmm.
1: different. Yeah, everybody has a different amount. Gotcha. Okay, now again, was, what was the persuasion when they were building the main fast twitch, fast glycetic mm-hmm. muscle fibers when they were young and in their speed windows? Because if they build a lot of fast twitch, their grays that are in there again, take on more of
0: the characteristics of that. Okay.
1: That's why our training and our prescription for training is so important.
0: Right. So important. And I'm assuming, and going back to kind of what we were talking about before, but that's why generalization train, or generalized training is so important because you're really setting them up to be able to take advantage of any sport that they want to do. That's right. Yeah, that's okay. right.
1: Gotcha. And, again, so, you know, I, I really appreciate going back to CrossFit and kind of bringing functional training into play where people are looking at a body and its total chain more. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, I wish their techniques were a lot better. I wish some of the moves that they judged themselves on would be taken out. Muscle ups is absolutely a shoulder impingement ready to happen anytime. Right. Okay. Yep. Uh, but I will, I will thank them for the functionality and the emphasis on functionality. But let's not kick Arthur Jones and knowledge training to the side completely. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether you're body masters or life fitness or Icarian or Streamline or whoever you are, Strive Equipment, they all have things that we can benefit from. You just have to use it in the right prescription in accordance with everything else that we're using.
0: Right, right. Man, talk about a legend, Arthur Jones. Yeah. It's funny because, again, going back to the martial arts world for a second here, how many crackpot martial artists did we did we see like in the past and then it's like you know arthur jones the colorado experiment so much weird stuff yeah but then that route i mean for anybody for the audience members look up arthur jones just read his wikipedia page and just go i think there's a section literally called pets right just go buck wild on that (laughs) literally batman villain level stuff that he was doing well you know
1: let's go back to that time because we're talking about 73 or 4 probably right in there and martial arts was some chop suey shit back then, baby. Oh, people were flying over lakes with sidekicks <laughs> yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And people looked at it like, man, you talk about cultists, you talking about out there. If, yeah. you did, if you did martial arts back then, they looked at you like you were the biggest weirdo in the world. Now it's in every action film we see.
0: Not just that, it's the,
1: one of the biggest sports. No question. Yeah. And, and we want to see more Jet Li. We want to see more. Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, or whoever it is. You yeah. know what I mean? We just want to see all the guys. Uh, Jason Stranham's is one I was really thinking about. You know, yeah. The reason why he's as good an actor as he is is because they keep putting him in, in flicks where he's got to do a lot of martial arts. I'm you glad know.
0: you brought that up. Jean Claude Van Damme, talk about a man who cared about balance. Yes. You look at the way he looks now and yes. what he's still able to do today. Yes. yes. Nuts. Yeah. yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's I one agree. of the only ones that I think still. Still, it looks pretty much the exact same in the movies. I mean, he looks a little older, obviously, but still built really well. Well, I wish
1: that Bruce Lee had not died so young yeah. because I think we'd have seen a phenomenon for many, many decades because yeah. he really, you talking about fast twitch explosion, you're talking about pound for pound at 137 pounds, producing more power and strength and speed than anybody I've ever seen before. Yeah. And he had flexibility, mobility on top of it back then. Yeah,
0: yeah. And again... You know, it it's kind of heartbreaking because we always keep coming back to the point of, you know, there were so many people who 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 had these these levels that they strive for, and then all that gets kind of taken apart, and now it's the the little things that the bad things that gets prescribed into the future, right. and I don't know, it right. just kind of sucks.
1: Well, you know, Bruce Lee was using if you watch the film on him, some of his documentaries, he was had a tens unit on him when he was writing the script out for. Fist of Fury. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's sitting there getting muscle impedance work yeah. <laughs> in the late sixties, early seventies yeah. while he's writing out a script. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, saw a 10 unit 15, 20 years ago in Athletic Training Room, like, oh man, this is the coolest thing ever. It's already been around forever. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to look back at the people that paved the way for where we are right now. I love being around the older dudes, and I'm old. I love being around the older dudes. I spent a year and a half ago, I spent some time with um Alver Mill. People might not know who that is. Al Vermill is the older brother of Dick Vermill, who just got inducted into the Super Bowl, the NFL, I'm sorry, the NFL Hall of Fame during the Super Bowl this year when he won the Super Bowl with Philadelphia. Al Vermill was one of the first strength and conditioning professionals in this country. He, told, he taught me a shoulder strength complex that I still use today. Mm-hmm. We have to take this great expertise from people that have done it with great experience for many years mm-hmm. and learn from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of nuances that we lose by just kind of looking back at it as if it was. Because a lot of the times, I think what happens is, is that we move forward so quickly and uh, the standard rises so much that we kind of depreciate what got us there. Right. You know, I think that's happening to bodybuilding right now. Yes. And it, and it, and it sucks. You yes. know? um Like bodybuilding right now, even though obviously symmetry is a big category of it. I mean, it became a mass monster sport, right? Yeah. You yeah. Know? And. Um,
1: Even in my last couple of years competing, and I'll just share this, and this is probably, you know, people might not need to know this or whatever, but I'm a pretty much, you know, let it all out there. I'm not ashamed of anything uh, that I've done. The best reward of age is you can be an open book. Well, that's it. And, and, you know, I I did my years of of steroid usage, um, and I had uh, three of the best internal medicine doctors working with me, and I would not be the strength coach that I am had I not gone to the depths that I went with with that. Because, you know, when you have positive nitrogen balance and you get to the levels that I were, you do some incredible things, things that I still never see today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you learn from that and you make note. Was it the right thing to do? Well, it was what my competition was doing. You know, all we've ever wanted, all of us, is an even playing field. Mm-hmm. And there are very few even playing fields anymore. But to get back to, to what you learn from those kind of things is we have to take the knowledge that we have learned through history but I like the data that you're talking about. I like being able to see the results that we're talking about, but that's not the end-all be-all. Yeah. You know we have to have a balance between all those things. Think about how many formulas be young or way out of whack. We still use the ideal weight chart. We still use BMI, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we still yeah. We still do um, uh, uh, heart rate monitors where 220 minus your age is your maximum heart rate. Right. Although we have Olympic rowers that blow that theory completely out of war. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so some things definitely need to be updated. But let's take the best of the best from our past and be able to infiltrate that into a synergetic effect of what we do
0: now. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, um, you know, just going kind of back to, like, the steroid usage and stuff. Terry, uh, Terry Rady, which is a, a he's, he was the middleweight um, power, or uh, strongman champion. He had a whole dissection of, about that, and kind of how that's what he needed to get to where he was. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that most people are not built to be able to handle the psychological side effects mm-hmm. of being, getting off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's another person that's worthwhile to follow. Look at his content. Uh, he's kind of a he's he's kind of a, a, a the ghoul of, of strongman a little bit too because he's kind of a, of the old guard. He he likes to talk shit, but also mm-hmm. he he can kind of back it up. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, but. A great info like if you just want somebody who has a very very uh like his i think it's on his instagram story um a, a kind of a testimony as far as should i do that should i go into that right it's a good it's a good little diagnostic to kind of watch because it, he really does outline if if this is exactly what you want then mm-hmm. go for it but if mm-hmm. it's not you just got to be careful with it you
1: well look at the problems that, that uh when it comes to the decisions of that kind of stuff. Let's take baseball for example. Mm-hmm. You know, every year when they say who's gonna be inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, Sosa comes up, Mark McGuire comes up, you know, Barry Bonds come up, you know. We know sitting in this room that those guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But they got this big black ball over them that says no way because it was skewed it was skewed
0: right right right.
1: but but truth be told the commissioner knew that that was going on but the ticket sales were out the out the yang you know the most home runs hit ever people were loving it buying tickets whatever you know who's going to share in responsibility and accountability of something like that are you going to put it all in the athlete that was just doing what the other athletes did
2: yeah Yeah. Yeah, I, i fully agree with that i mean those guys they get set out there like they were the only ones. Right, they weren't even close right. to the only ones. I mean, I know a lot of guys in Major League Baseball, and a bunch of them were doing right. it, and a bunch of them were coached to do it. Exactly. When you, they don't, they don't come out and tell you, uh, "I want you to get on X Y Z program right. and go see doctor." You know, whoever they just tell you in a in a general way, like when you come back from the off season, you know, be a little bit bigger. Yeah. They, you
1: know, I, I need you 20 know, pounds of muscle and 4% less body fat in six months. But, you know, <laughs> do the right thing.
0: <laughs> You're going to laugh because I remember when I first got into lifting, I asked my coach, Coach, what can I do to build lean muscle mass and lose fat? And mm-hmm. he just told me, you got to zero. That's the only answer on that Straight to way. it. <laughs> Did <Do, do> you <laughs> do both at the same time? That's the only you way. know,
1: But look at the prescriptions that are going on now for kids, if they want them to be academic stars, what they're using for that. for for I mean, and I train many people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if they have low testosterone, they're all on testosterone right now. Mm-hmm. And what's it doing? It's saving their life. It's enhancing their quality of life. Yeah. So true is it as bad as people think, or are they actually using it in a lot of cases? Well, how about, how about the medical doctors of the United States put their heads together and learn how to monitor it and learn how to control it? If it's going to be in our sports, then let's regulate it so it is fair mm-hmm. instead of sticking your head in the sand saying, saying it doesn't exist when it does.
0: That, that point, I think, is probably one of the most poignant, the fact that even on an academic level, completely getting rid of all exercise science and exercise physiology, how many people are taking things to be mm-hmm. able to compete at that mm-hmm. higher level? Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, um, coming, I'm being Korean. I mean, I've seen it. Okay. You know, I've seen kids go nuts to be able to get that grade mm-hmm. to to be able to immigrate into America for like that job or whatever. And the reality is, is you got to. I mean, every single thing requires sacrifice if you're willing to go to the last page.
1: This may stir the pot a little bit, but now hey, that's, we, that's what this is for. All right, so so, so <laughs> now so now we have males that are competing in female events. Yeah. And if that's mm-hmm. not performance enhancing, I don't know anything. That yeah. Is. I
2: mean, where, how, where do you go from there? If, yeah. if one is illegal, how is that? Uh, exactly. I think the most I mean, dangerous
0: part, especially the most irresponsible part of that is it's happening in impact sports. Like it's happening in like MMA. Yeah. It's happening in sports where people could physically die. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Track and field. Yeah.
2: You
0: know, what's yeah. What's happening in track and field
1: right now. It's happening in different sports. Swimming. MMA, swimming was yeah. just uh, a yeah. front and center. Yep. Yeah. Uh, during the Olympics. Yeah. And it was accepted, right? Yeah. It was oh, accepted, yeah. but it was not accepted 15, 20 years ago when China, you know, got busted because, you know, the, the strength coach from uh, Germany went to China, and all of a sudden China team shows up, and they just blow everybody away, set records, whatever. They deep dive into it and find out that this is the reason why, and of course they, they took all the medals away yeah. and banned them.
0: What's it called? It's funny. Um, I want to kind of stir the pot and just make everybody our enemy. But China, um, the funny thing, the funniest thing that I recently saw about China is that they are nationally kind of accrediting joke uh, kung fu. Have you seen that recently? Uh-huh. So they're they have a nationalist program where basically they're hiring all these expert tai chi masters, expert wushu masters. Which I mean, we're talking about. I mean, more sh- parlor tricks and shows right. than anything right. else. Right. And they're basically funding them to be able to make the Chinese people feel exceptional, right, with mm. their history. But What's so interesting about that is that their history is based around actual martial combat. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they're doubling down on the mysticism that the 80s had on martial combat, which is so funny. Because mm. that's an American product, <laughs> not a is. Chinese <laughs> right. product, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's just so interesting to see that. There's literally a guy, his name is Shu uh, Sha Dong. He's, he's been blacklisted in China because of the mm-hmm. social credit system. Wow. But he was literally just uh, pointing people out and saying, like, oh, if he's a master, let's organize a fight. Mm-hmm. And he would just beat the shit out of all of them, which was wild. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's funny when a guy comes in wearing the, uh, wearing, having the queue, right. the yeah. robe and everything, yep. and the guy you're fighting is wearing hokas and you know board shorts and beats <laughs> right. <speech> to shit. <laughs> you yeah. Know, man? yeah, yeah. But again, interesting to see, right? Yeah. We're we're kind of the reason I bring it up is because we're kind of talking about taking history without any nuance and using that as the new standard, right? And they're kind of doing that as a nation, right? Which is interesting to see. Yeah. 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 So
1: yeah. So it's nineteen seventy two or three. Mike Geneva, who's now a black belt Hall of Famer, who who's uh, fought many, many tournaments and was one of the best nut kickers in the South because you could kick to the groin back when Sika and uh, PKA were going on before it became MMA. And uh, he was my sensei. And if you had a karate school back then, it, it was very common that somebody was going to come in and drop a challenge that week. Oh, yeah. And they wanted to just challenge you out. Yeah. Well, when he started, he didn't, he didn't go with your traditional taekwondo or um, – Shinru or anything like that he started american karate uh-huh. well you start thinking like well hell americans don't know anything about karate it didn't originate there but what he basically did was took the leg techniques of any art round kick full round kick side kick crescent kick you know axe kick whatever. basically all the kicks all the kicks right, right? but yeah. they combined the hand techniques of a good boxer jab cross maybe throwing a little back fist reverse punch that kind of thing right occasionally throw in a ridge hand if it worked right mm-hmm. but Those were the kind of things that he combined. So really when it came to a street fight, if a part of it was self-defense, it became a lot more applicable. Mm -hmm. I mean, by the time you get in a street fight these days, you can't break down a new hunching stance before the fight starts because it's already ended by then. Right, yeah. So you had to use things a little bit more common sense. But I agree with you 100%. We have to look back on where it started and see where it's grown and take those valuable concepts that started back then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Muay Thai in particular is one that I'm interested in because it derived from gambling culture. So it's like you know, if there's one fighting style that's legit, it's the one with money behind it. (laughs) But uh, it's interesting to see, man. Uh, You know, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I think uh, a lot of us, because the reality is, is that most people probably will go through their life fighting maybe once, Mm -hmm. maybe twice. And the reality is, is that that fight was probably more more vocal. Than actually mm-hmm. physical mm-hmm. that's just the reality of the mm-hmm. situation but it's funny to think that like because i remember as a kid i used to think this but thinking a fight was going to look like best of the best mm-hmm. you know too mm-hmm. like i'm about to just do a roundhouse kick right. crest, crest, crest. Well, i'm gonna crest and kick the gun out yeah. 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 you know and it's like it just never works out yeah. that way i mean yeah. it really does it really is just usually a haymaker yeah. out of nowhere and it's yeah. just over yeah yeah. yeah 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 but wow. again interesting yeah. to Think about.
1: I love it. I love the fact that, again, what what can we learn from martial arts? Um, You know, yoga, martial arts, Pilates, um, and and guys that are in serious mobilization right now, they're starting to find the common denominators because for so many years we thought that shortening a muscle – was truly strengthening it. Mm-hmm. And now we're finding out that lengthening the muscle is actually strengthening it and strengthening the whole chain. Yeah, So we had to kind of get away from just the curvature of what flexion provides in a muscle belly mm-hmm. a little bit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And again, I, I was with everybody else, man. Captain America, Incredible Hulk, Jimmy Snuka, Lex Luthor, anybody who was rocked up, they were, that's who I was wanting to be like, right? Yeah, me too. But once I got in the middle of bodybuilding and went through my career, and then once I was done and kind of demassetized to be able to be more fluid in other sports, I realized that hypertrophy is only one part of the game. Yeah. One part of the game. Yeah. So just like I said last week at the clinic, Robbie kind of liked this, the beauty of a muscle structure is only as good as the functionality and
2: the speed that it provides. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a book quote. Yeah, yeah that's a quote yeah. right there. Yeah. And yeah. it's so true. Yeah. I mean, we, um, this whole segment, as I'm sitting here listening to the conversation, we have gone from MMA to strongman to powerlifting to bodybuilding uh, to sports-specific training. And all we're talking about is this gigantic universe of training and just pulling the best out of it. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we can use our knowledge, which we had none back in our exactly. day. Exactly. I mean, we Nothing. we went off of the Muscle yeah. and Fantasy magazine, yeah. and w- whatever they posted, we yeah. were going to try.
0: It. That was the best. And then, yeah, yeah. The best era. It's like, oh, this is what we, No, absolutely, one hundred percent. And then, if
2: whatever they prescribed, if we got to that, then he'd be standing behind me, and I'd go up. I, I got to my reps, and you know, you're you're not done yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you're going right. to keep going yeah. until the ass hits the ground.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny too because, like, it, this is kind of a closing thought on all that, but. Look at all the stuff that we just mentioned, right? Like you said, yeah. all the things. Yeah. And it's like the reason – what upsets me is that with, like, bodybuilding and traditional powerlifting, stuff like that, is that how can you say you have all the answers when we've already listed maybe, what, eight different disciplines right. mm-hmm. that all have value within mm-hmm. the this, this sport that mm-hmm. is, like, you know, being able to move the body? Bingo. Mm-hmm. You know? Bingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to mention also, I mean, I brought up that point at the clinic, but – We've only really been getting serious about this in the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. It's kind of starting with the whole Cold War Olympics and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, how 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 insane would it be if a man who was building space rockets said, "In fifty years, I have all the answers." That mm-hmm. no one would ever right. in, in any other industry. You right. would never be able to say that with one discipline and right. decide that that's the way to go. Right? Like we can't do that in health. Right? Like you know, like right now we're starting to find out that a lot of a lot of mood-based science, a lot of depression, and all that—it's all based off the gut microbiome, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a science that's happening in, that's in its infancy. Mm-hmm. But how could you ever say that that is the only thing that matters when it comes to how you feel? And people go, "You're right." Yeah, you people, know, people got to take the blinders off.
2: Yeah, and uh, and then to make that full circle, that comes right back to the tsunami bar, especially in the beginning when everybody had their blinders on. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't, they, they could, first of all, they had no idea what they were even looking at. So they would form an opinion, mostly an incorrect one Mm -hmm. about what was happening, what was going to happen and what they could, what they could do with the bar in the future to make whatever they're doing better. Yeah. And uh, so you got to take the blinders
0: off. To their defense, I would say that we also kind of had our blinders on as well, because. Being the the stubborn sons of bitches that we are, yeah, we yeah. we yeah. we legitimately were, yeah. were saying like, what you're doing? Yeah. No, this is yeah, the this future. is the way you do it. Yeah, this is gonna replace everything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that kind of you know, we yeah, do yeah. that. It's gonna upset a few people. Yeah. But the yeah. reality is, is that what I found is that if you're somebody who cares about performance seriously, you don't give a shit what the optics are.
2: That's right. You go Absolutely. down
0: every route Absolutely. to make sure that right. you have the best performance you can possibly right. have. Right.
2: Absolutely. Right. I mean, if I told KT is a he's an avid golfer, scratch golfer at that, so he knows what he's doing. But I told him you gotta use, you gotta use this set of clubs, this ball, this glove, um, you know, he's that's putting the blinders on. He's gonna use whatever he needs to use mm-hmm. to be able to execute the game the way he wants to execute it. The match is swing, the match. Yeah. You know how he performs out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do the same thing. I do the same thing. But it goes that way with every sport. Yeah. And um, you know the the, the whole conversation. Uh, if anybody takes anything away from it, is is um, you got to be open minded. Be open minded and yeah. uh, and learn from all the stuff that's out there in front of you. Don't uh, don't discount anything mm-hmm. just because you might not have agreed with it or it looks stupid or whatever whatever your excuse may be.
0: Be open minded. <laughs> The future is always going to end up being change, right? And so, with that in mind, you at least have to be open minded enough to adapt if that happens.
2: That's right. been my whole life. Yeah. You know, my whole life has been has been you know, I meet adversity and I'm going to adjust and change and mm-hmm. I'm going to move forward. I'm not going to let anything stop me in anything that I do, and it's all because I'm I, you know, I have an ability to adapt and figure it out. Mm-hmm. You got to figure it out on the fly. Get in the lab and develop a better kinesthetic
1: sense. Let your body teach you, because it will. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say you're not going to make errors, because we all have. Lord knows I've made tremendous errors in my training. But because I've made so many errors, I'm able to give a lot of good information on the flip side of that.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: they're yeah. all teaching
2: moments. Yeah. Every, every, every mistake or every error, is, is, that's not bad. It's a learning opportunity. That's right. opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We learn a
1: lot more from our
2: defeats than we do from our successes.
0: Definitely, and a lot of the nuances that we get are literally from that specific field Mm -hmm. more than anything Mm -hmm. else. I talked a lot uh, at West Point about
1: um, how sometimes technique is being superseded by motivation a little bit, you know, and that that, that really bothers me um, because I think that for the amount of time that you allocate toward training, you want the maximum amount of efficiency out
0: of that. Now, my counterpoint to that is mm-hmm. this, how much of weightlifting and its advantage mm-hmm. is how that kid feels on the field? Mm-hmm. Like those kids, and we've seen it all the time in the mm-hmm. football football mm-hmm. like weight room, mm-hmm. they'll get a new max, the mm-hmm. dirtiest match you could possibly imagine, right? Right. right. But that sense of elation right. translates to the right. field, correct? Right. right, So how much, because that's always been my theory, and this is something I bat around with Av a lot. Right. Is weightlifting's inherent benefit the fact that these kids are stronger, or right. is it both that they're stronger but also feel that they're achieving something, which right. then helps them progress? Basically, right. rallying their emotion right. for that's victory. a great point. Well, I mean, a, I see the
2: videos all the time. Yes, of uh, some kid getting ready to do a, a squat PR, right? And the whole team is rallied around right. this one rack. West right? Point loves
0: doing this. Yeah, I mean, they put on a whole
2: night show, show yeah. for yeah. their yeah. Uh, for their max night. And kid gets under the bar, the team is going crazy, Uh spotters help him get it off the bar, he walks it back a couple of feet, and he goes down on a quarter squat and comes back up, and the place goes
0: nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, did he squat? Mm-hmm. Hell no, he didn't I mean, squat. we see that all the time. Yeah. We see a power clean max that's really just sure. a muscle clean max. Right. Right. Sure. We, we right. see that across the board all the time, yeah. but again... Um, and again, you bring it up too, yeah. if that's a small piece, right. not the majority of right. training, is that okay? Yeah, I'm thinking more on the day-to-day
1: process. Right. I'm not talking about max testing or whatever. I think you've know, I think you've got to hit those parameters uh, mentally and physically in order to get that psyche where you need it to be. Right. Because we know there is nothing more dangerous than an athlete that's confident. Okay? That's because true. confidence is everything. Right. Mm-hmm. It is in my sport now. It was in martial arts. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'd step in the ring. Guy was six three. Next guy was six four. If I won that fight, next guy would seem to be six five. I'm like, good god. Mm-hmm. As I keep advancing, these son of a guns just keep getting bigger and longer limb and whatever. And I'm trying to reach in there and you know give a little you know body punch to the stomach and score a point, whatever. Right. Um, also, and this goes back to all, you know, MMA is so unbelievable as far as what these guys take, right? Mm-hmm. But remember where it came from. It came from point fighting. And then if you made it through and you were fighting for the grand championship and you had three referees and a guy hits you with a right cross and snaps your head back and two of the three judges said, no see, no see, you were going to make damn sure that they saw the next one. You know what I mean? So
0: semi-contact became
1: full contact, became MMA.
0: Which we saw. It went literally from Olympic point fighting to pancrest and things like that where they're open-handed, open-hand strikes. And then it went straight into what we have now, which is full body, whatever style. And I I
1: didn't want to run off on that necessarily, but it goes back to the confidence thing. Mm -hmm. An athlete has to develop confidence. He has to develop seeing himself doing it or herself doing it before they do it. So it becomes a deja vu moment. When it actually happens, you've already seen it in your mind and you're comfortable. If it doesn't happen... You're rigid, you're
0: spasmodic, and you're tight, and you're inhibited. Which nothing feels better than going under that max, and it's about right. a RP8. <laughs> yeah. You're like, ooh, that was yeah. easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you overshoot, like right. if you're me, if you're yeah. stupid. Well, but and, then, <laughs> and
2: it depends kind of where the school you came from. Yeah. I mean, when I – I really didn't have a gym when I first started out. I, yeah. In high school, we didn't even have weight training equipment. You just played. And um, once I was out of high school – uh, you know, my first bar was a piece of rebar with an aluminum sleeve over it, mm-hmm. and those plastic and cased um, cement with the little tiny holes holes in them. That's what I had. To that's, work. I mean, that's yeah. what I had to work with. Now I'd lay on the floor and I'd bench with it and and uh, curl with it, and you know, do the basics. And um, so I developed a little bit of a foundation. And then I met these guys. Yeah. And uh, I got in the gym, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting under a a, a bar on a rack. And you know, I, I walked in the gym. I benched 250. I couldn't squat 250. Uh-huh. Um, and as I developed and, and moved along, that partial squat was not accepted in Maximus Gym where I cut my teeth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, if you it, it, you were even, you were either going to get the lift halfway, which is all the way down and not come back up, uh-huh. or you're going to get it all. Partial set. Yeah, incomplete. <laughs> that's yeah, just that's just the way it was. <laughs> yeah. But um, but. Through you know going back to pulling the you know the best out of the things that we learn over the, over the years, I've learned that partial moves are very beneficial.
0: And again, another side of bodybuilding we lose. Partial reps are super important, but again, mm-hmm. people are thinking you're cutting you're cutting and it's like no, it's a completely different.
2: It's absolutely right. part of the game. Right. Yeah, if you're not doing board presses or box squats at different right. heights, or, right. Whatever the move you're well, choosing, I mean, you, I mean, it is it is absolutely nuts and bolts part of the game.
0: And, of course, why is that, right? Because the general audience has, you know, what's the most disparaging person in the gym? The guy who's been there for six months, who's not going to adhere to any kind of program, who have pretty decent maxes for the start, and then just disparages. That's all he does, Yeah. Right? And that's the worst because... Mm-hmm. Those guys would have no problem with a Spoto press or a pin press being a partial rep, mm-hmm. but when they see an actual partial rep, they're like, Oh, that's your chore you're changing. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And again, go, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with the coaches, what I don't think I realized until I started doing these clinics was just how many students. A coach is responsible for, yeah. it and how yeah. impossible yeah. Yeah. it is yeah. 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 to make sure that every single yeah. one of those kids are on point. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the impossible. high school level, yeah, is, they just yeah. don't have the
2: budget for it. Right, and uh, but but I'll I'll go back to KT's point. Even though you know, full range of motion, fantastic. Partial movements, fantastic. The technique still has to be proficient. Mm-hmm. If, if you're if you're you know if you've got a forward lean, rounded shoulders, whatever the Flaw may be if it's partial or full movement, you've got to clean that up. And it's, you're
1: mainly doing it so you don't have injuries. And you don't even you're not even gravitating in soft tissue development in a bad way to get toward injuries. That's what really proficiency of technique does. Yeah. Because think about it. Am I gonna put workload on my muscles correctly uh-huh. or am I gonna put workload on my tendons and ligaments incorrectly? Mm-hmm. What's the longevity of those two, right? So that's all I'm talking about. And guess what? I have mad respect. For high school strength coaches trying to handle 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 kids well, both at one time. Of you guys have been right, there. right. Oh, yeah. And even when I coached at, at uh, USC back in the 80s with our teams, you know, I would have a hundred football players, but I would have two other graduate assistants, but we just handle sessions. But every now and then I'd blow the whistle and say, Hey, this is our teaching moment right here. I want everybody to listen to this. And I just give a five minute demonstration and explanation about why technically it would empower them to make that parameter that they were having a hard time with mm-hmm. because it just set their body up to recruit properly. Because that's what we're talking about. At the end of the day, be young. I could bite into your arm, cut a chunk of muscle out of there, do a biopsy on there. It ain't got no numbers on there, brother. Mm-hmm. But it knows when it's being recruited properly. Yeah. It does know that.
0: And I think really one of the major benefits of the Tsunami bro that we keep seeing across the board is that it allows a coach that has too many students to be able to kind of auto-regulate his training because if it's acceleration based, right. generally speaking, if you don't already have a naturalized bias that makes sense, right. you're just gonna fall. Right. Right. Like the reality is is that if you're using the tsunami bar with oscillation in mind and you're doing it with incorrect form, you're just gonna fail somewhere. It's mm-hmm. gonna
1: check you. Yeah. It's you know, gonna check you.
2: And we, we we found that out in the beginning. Right. We called it a we called it a a, a path purifier. Yes, or a, yeah, a form you know, purifier. Yeah, right? because, we talked about because that because yeah. especially in the power clean, if yeah. you didn't have your second pull right. in sync with with your your hip mm-hmm. hips going forward or right. your shoulders getting the uh, that that full extension, uh, it was you were going to fail mm-hmm. or or the or you were going to have a really uncomfortable moment. You yeah. still might get it, but it wasn't going to be right. Yeah, and uh, but it's the same with bench press. It's the same with squats. It's the same with every other move with that bar. If uh, you don't stay in sync with the other parts of your body that are involved in this move, especially where speed is involved, and to have that bar on the proper path, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna know it. And,
1: and this is the last thing I'll, I'll kind of say about the Tsunami bar is that now I'm in my eighth year of using it every day. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much less skeletal friction, tendon, and ligament friction.
2: I'll second
0: that.
1: I promise you, you recover faster than you would with steel. I know from experience every day, all day with myself and my athletes, it's just different. Now, if I had to sit here and tell you, is the hypertrophy gonna be the same amount? I couldn't tell you that. We don't know that yet. Not yet. But we know there's stimulation there. But a lot of times there's not the annihilation that you get from steel. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a, a phrase from Lee Haney. You can you can you can hit him on that one. That's what he told me. He said, KT. <laughs> You ever want to be a Mr. Olympia like me? you got to learn about stimulation, not annihilation. So he knew when to say wind. He knew when to recover.
0: The, the funniest part about that statement, and it was funny because Angie was the one who brought it up, but he was like, <laughs> you're going to say that, but then right after, talk about Tom Platt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, and but you ain't annihilating those legs. And the leg name. Yeah, I like, know. Nah, you dude, ain't annihilating those legs. But it is interesting. Again, yeah. it is a balance, and I want you know everybody who's listening to kind of understand just how – just how much of a, a a precarious edge that 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 science, uh, sports specific science, is on, because it really is just in the end of the day, guys making things work, yes. and yeah. you know, bringing in history as much as they can, you know, as yeah. if they can. It's just, I think the thing that we're kind of realizing is that it's still within its infancy. It's, Nothing is written in no, stone as no. far as the, as this world goes. Oh,
2: no, absolutely. Yeah. I you know, I, I coached. This way for a long time, and I still preach it today, even though I don't coach. And that's that everybody's different. Katie's already alluded to this. And uh, you know, if, if we put two train our training program, a singular training program out here. And we both followed it. We're both going to get a different result. Mm-hmm. He might get stronger off of it. I might get bigger, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah, just it, from the basic differences in sure. genetics, that's, that's just the way it or. is. Sure. So you got, you
2: have to unlock those things or find what those things are mm-hmm. that trigger you. What what recruits best for you? What gets you fired up? What gets the blood flowing for you? Mm-hmm. And uh, and once you put that together with the knowledge base, uh, don't be don't you know like we said, don't have the blinders on. Be open minded. Put the plan together and execute. Hopefully, they take away from this that we can't put all this under one umbrella. It just
1: is not so. It's just, yeah. It just will never be. So the book, the book that says do it this way, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it, we're still evolving. It's a journey that we're going to continue. We hadn't gotten there yet. You know, there's going to be some detours that we don't know about yet. There might be good. They might be bad. Mm-hmm. But we just we have not. We can't. We just cannot concisely put this in a neat box for people to check. It just doesn't happen like yeah. that. And, you know, and there's a lot of programs out there that look super sexy and they're not efficient at all. You know, so again, I will come back to, yeah, I have to. (laughs) So what it comes back to is what is the feel? How can you become a better feeler of everything that you experience when you're doing stimulation? And I will say this, a change of stimulus
0: brings a change of results. And I like that because it's a hopeful kind of end to powerlifting because in my opinion, the major tenet of powerlifting that people overlook is that you have to find what exhausts you. Right. And that only comes with the journey, right? right? That's the part that matters to me. Well, it's I really not, love
2: that, that. You know, when you talk about it, the perceived exertion. Right, yeah. I think that's a great move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Because the number of reps or whatever it is
0: really doesn't mean a damn thing. Well, and we keep hearing strength is not linear. Right, mm-hmm. there are going to be days where you're primed to be able to do way more, and there's going to be days you're either sick or just mm-hmm. just from constant training that you're not primed to be able to do as much as you did before. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just the reality mm-hmm. of the yeah. sport, mm-hmm. you know. And if there's one tenant, much like how bodybuilding's major tenant was that it was all about anatomy. In the end of the day, it was mm-hmm. all about symmetry and physiology. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I like to think about. That's the part that I like to take back. Mm-hmm. Like when we watch those Joe Weeder videos, mm-hmm. and I think. And we'll get into that, justly, <laughs> <me. laughs> yeah, classics. Right? But yeah. yeah, but there is something there, some type of ephemera there that I absolutely adore, and I don't necessarily look at bodybuilding now as something that I love. But there was something there in the eighties that I absolutely adored, and still adore till this mm-hmm. day. It
2: know? was definitely, and it, not just because it was the era that I came through, uh, because I've witnessed the, you know the the decades past mine. And I'm not as am not a fan of it now. I just I don't I really don't. I'm just not part of that game or game of the type of bodybuilders that get on stage mm-hmm.
0: today and at. Um, well, you know, again, let a, me let me tell you, I didn't live through that, and yeah, I mm-hmm. still know that that was that was when it was the best. Oh yeah, the the best. Best. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: because it wasn't it wasn't who had the best drug line. It no. wasn't who who uh, you know. Politically, might have gotten a little sway this way or had some sponsorship this way or whatever. I can promise you, we mixed it up on stage, Mm -hmm. and we mixed it up backstage. And What I mean by that is we shared information about nutrition, training, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot more of what you see when you watch Stay Hungry or a documentary on Arnold when he's sitting there, and they're all on the beach, and they were like, you know, is the king on the hill as hungry yeah. as the wolves climbing up the hill. He said, no, he's not, but when he wants to meet is there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. So there was just a lot to be learned the way Arnold really transitioned bodybuilding and then the great ones after him with Lee Haney and Ronnie Coleman and people
0: and like that. And even then, like when Lee Haney, I think, I can't remember what year it was, but he won against Dorian. Yes. Um, and I think Vince came in second place. Yes. And then right after that, they started training together. Yes. And that's when I knew uh, clearly – if number one and number three are training together, yep. there's obviously competition involved, right. but there's also a mutual Comradery, respect and camaraderie time. involved big as well. And time. I feel like that's kind of missing too. Yeah. Well, great crush. competitors know
2: that you're going to get better if you're training with somebody that you not only respect, but you think, oh, they got an edge on me a little bit right. in yeah. some areas.
0: Yeah. And again, you, you want to train with somebody that's better. Than and you again, are. we come right back to the same concept. If you care about your performance, you do not care what the optics are. No. You will do anything or right. travel down any path right. you need to to be able to become stronger and more able. Yeah, right? yeah.
2: We'll, we'll worry about that when the when they ju- when the judges decide at the end. Yep. I never
1: I never would take on a training partner if he wasn't better than me in at least one aspect. Could be like with Robbie. Robbie and David Nichols and I were training partners at Maximus. Okay, mm-hmm. Robbie's shoulder strength blew my shit away. David Nichols' overall strength blew my shit away, but my genetics and my balance would kind of beat those guys. And I was a little taller mm-hmm. and my muscle structure was longer. So I knew that my top end might be better than their top end. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you, you're competing, but we loved each other and we pushed each other beyond parameters that you could ever want to do because you knew they had your back and you knew they had a sincere care mm-hmm. about who you were. Mm-hmm. So we were tight brothers and that, I'll tell you when you think you're going to let your brother down, and you're up under that squat rack, and you're only about 70% into where you need to be, that's where that extra 30% comes from. Yeah, I do not want to disappoint these guys. That's
0: why sometimes I tell yeah. Andrew to go home when we work out. I'm yeah. like, hey, I'm not feeling it today. <laughs> hey, get, get out of here, man. I'm going to take it a little easier today. You yeah. Know? yeah, Ken is so right. Um, yeah, those were classic days. All yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's going to be interesting because that's definitely going to be its own episode. Yeah. But for right. now...
2: Believe me, it. We got some stories.
0: Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about that.